hello twos and threes. Um, thank you for coming along today and uh, we are going to be talking about hate speech legislation in New Zealand. But first let's just do our little introduction. So two or three gathered as a series of conversation with Christian brothers and sisters considering the efforts and contributions to the kingdom vocationally their stories and testimonies of God's sovereignty and grace and an opportunity to tackle the relevant issues the church faces in the 21st century. In this, we seek to equip the saints by networking within the body, starting the conversation around often taboo subjects and seeking to develop unity across Christian denominations and traditions by opening up discussion on worthy and necessary topics. We want to help educate the wider body of Christ by asking these experts and people of wisdom across multiple fields, the hot button questions and sophisticated questions that we believe that there are answers for in Christchurch, but that there is not necessarily always access to. We want to further the growth of knowledge and wisdom in ourselves to worship God with our minds and fellowship with all of you as we collectively seek to discern what God what God-glorifying discipleship looks like for us in respective vocations and our spheres of influence. It is our heart and hope that Christ himself would be in our midst as we converse about things that we believe he himself is very interested in. Welcome twos and threes. Thanks for gathering with us. (laughs) (laughs) Why I kept cracking up is um, because we were talking before we started recording about how I was going to mess it up and I totally did twice. So (laughs) prophetic. I am a prophet. (laughs) So So yeah, welcome and thank you to our podcast. Um, So today we are looking at the proposed hate speech legislation that is currently before Parliament. Um, So just to give you a little bit of background, um, the Labour Party campaigned for their second term basically on the hate speech um, proposals after the Christchurch massacre happened at the mosque, um, which was just a horrific tragedy in New Zealand. Um, Minister Farfoy has presented a discussion proposal that is before Parliament and that is open for submissions. Um, but it is probably going to be formalised into a bill at some point and become law. So we thought it was important to discuss this. Now, I am quite happy to say I know nothing really about this apart from the little that I have skim read in preparation for this podcast. Um, and so I'm coming very much as the layperson to learn from my well, I was going to say elders and betters, my youngers and betters on the subject. Um, so take it away, boys. Mm, I, I um, would also like to add, um, I am not as prepared as Jared. However, what I have uh, looked into more is less of the New Zealand side of things and more uh, some things that have happened in some of our sister countries with similar laws. Cool. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, like it, it should be worth saying here as well that uh, to quote um, what Russell Palmer said in an RNZ article, um, before we get started, bear in mind there are already some other laws that apply to harmful speech, including the Summary Offences Act of 1981, the Broadcasting Act of 1989, the Harmful Digital Communications Act of 2015, that's a more recent one, the Harassment Act of 1997, 
and the Films, Videos and Publications Classifications Act of 1993. It's worth considering that a lot of liberal, liberal democracies around the world actually have legislation in place that prohibits certain types of speech, and New Zealand just happens to be one of those particular democracies. It's also important to keep in mind that none of what actually has been proposed is final. It's why actually is, uh, I could get the dates wrong here, as late as July, um, they were asking for submissions on these proposals, on this discussion document that Minister Farfoy put forward. The Ministry is seeking feedback, Ministry of Justice. There's no guarantee that the law, if it is enacted, will actually look like these six proposals that have been suggested. So at this point, it's not a law, it's not an act, it's not even a bill. Uh, but I would say there, in retrospect, maybe that's a bit naive, because at this point, the fact that it has been this discussion document, discussed in Parliament, talked about in Parliament, it will more than likely get to a bill stage at some point with revision, something not looking like an omnibus bill, where it's actually proposing you know, several changes in a number of pieces of legislation. But yeah, like, great summary from Christine, I think, so far. Like, you know, we're looking at actually something that is uh, seeking to be on the back of actually what happened with the massacre. But it's a bit disingenuous to say that's why it happened, I should clarify, because, you know, Labour was prior to actually uh, the massacre happening in Christchurch talking about wanting to make these revisions anyway. And Andrew Little kind of like actually, you know, put smoke under this afterwards, like, you know, put fire, put a fire under this afterwards when that happened to say, well, we need to put this at the forefront and actually address this Human Rights Commission as well on the recommendations of the Royal Commission. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, one, one thing that I find interesting that Labour have used um, the Christchurch attacks as motivation for this bill that I find relatively interesting now this is my own opinion I'm, i may be wrong here but i think if these revisions had been in place i don't think it would have done much anyway mm. um mm. i don't think it would have done much to prevent the attack uh brenton tarrant well, he wasn't the, yeah the, the the attacker he he wasn't posting anything online that was known about um because after the royal commission into the attack um the royal commission said that the security uh the nzsis the new zealand security and intelligence services and the gcsb the global security uh not uh, the government security communications bureau anyway the intelligence community of new zealand had not done anything wrong uh everything they had done in the lead up they, they had they didn't know they couldn't mm. have known because he was more of a lurker to mm. the websites that he was a part of, Kiwi Farms, 8chan, and sometimes 4chan. Um, but the, the laws that are being proposed have no governance over these websites. They have no governance over access to these websites. And if it did, that, that goes quite far, in my opinion, if it stops us from accessing uh, certain websites that are speech boards. Well, what yeah. what's your what's your understanding of uh, the Harmful Communications Act of twenty fifteen? Like, is there some legislative reach there? Um, is there some prescription there? Because I, 
I mean, we're going to get into this a little bit. Like, mm -hmm. I imagine that there's going to be, if this was to go forward, the proposals as they are now, we would see interaction with that bill and yeah. other pieces of legislation as well. I, I look to highlight some of these mm -hmm. coming up, but from your knowledge of that bill, I'm not particularly familiar. I should yeah. have done some research into that for this cast, but... Well, there could be. However, I don't know, again, in relation to Brenton Tarrant, I think he was more of a, from what I've learned about um, his situation, looking into it quite, quite extensively, I've looked into his situation. Um, can I just ask, sorry, yeah. can, what is, the, I mean, the Hartle Communications Act, like I said, mm. I know nothing about any of this stuff. I just kind of roll with it. Um, what does that actually, are we talking about that a bit later? Are we going into what that talks about? Like, does that basically say no hate speech online? Like, what is the Harmful Communications Act for those of us who don't really know? Hmm. Um, this is something I need to do a bit more research into. It's the piece of okay. legislation that I kind of was more aware of uh, later in the piece. Um, and we will link that in the description afterwards as well. Um, I will actually just have it here because I do have it open and I was skim reading it prior to actually looking at this. The purpose of this is to actually deter, prevent, and mitigate harm caused to individuals by digital communications and provide victims of harmful digital communications right. with a quick and efficient means. So it's prevent. the stuff that's around online bullying and, and mm. stuff like that as well. Okay, yeah. cool. Exactly. All right, yeah, cool, cool, cool. But, just yeah. didn't know if that was where that all came in. Yeah, Which, like what's, what's worth saying there as well is like, it's, def it's definitely an area that a lot of like, you know, governments and institutions have actually generally backed away of, backed away from prescribing what is freedom of speech and what is hate speech online, because there's, yeah. there's a whole lot of precedents that are really hard to legislate for when yeah. you're talking about, you know, digital communities, when you're talking about being in another country and does that country's law apply to you or does, you know, the law of the country that you're actually posting in as it were like mm. it's really hard to sites, yeah it's got to be really difficult yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah and so in that sense for better or worse New Zealand is actually quite progressive in actually having this kind of act which actually mm. does prescribe does limit versions of speech online under this particular legislation mm. New Zealand's yeah. unique in that that, that's where I would have to disagree in terms of calling it progressive, but that's a, again, For better or worse. personal, yeah. that's probably a personal opinion and, and we'll get into that mm. a little bit later mm. um, in mm. regards. Yeah, I would push back on that and say it is actually, I find it quite a good thing. Um, yeah, and, and, and yeah. I'll, I'll give some we examples. Can, we can have it out later. That's yeah. uh, fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll give some <laughs> well, That's all we have time for today. And yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll give some examples about that later. But in, in regards to the Harmful Digital Communications Act, again, I would reiterate that I don't know if much of it would have applied in the case of Brenton Tarrant, I think. Mm. Well, again, well, bro, he had I'll, I'll less go. communications online prior to the attack. If his if he was trying to get more of a um, a movement going online, then yes, that probably would have applied. But that's not mm. what he was doing. And when one reads his manifesto, not that I own it, I, I don't own it. The legal um, disclaimer. disclaimer. Um, uh, when one reads it, you can see that his intention was to do something big, public, in and physically 
in order to start a start a debate, start a conversation, and spark outrage. Mm. But and it, it actually needs to be said here as well, man. Like mm. the Royal Commission itself has actually acknowledged that had hate speech laws of this nature, of these kind of proposals, been actually written up and in effect in the time of the in the, the circumstances leading up to the Christchurch massacre mm. they themselves have said it probably wouldn't have prevented it happening exactly so that makes a really interesting precedent yeah like I'm going to go into just after this this would be a good chance to actually talk into what are those proposals what are they specifically but it's worth noting that one of the bodies that actually have suggested we need tighter hate speech legislations they themselves using this awful moment in New Zealand history is a watershed moment to actually monopolize on and say we need to change this they yeah. have said it wouldn't have actually prevented the thing that they're saying actually instigated the need for hate speech mm -hmm. reform sure. yeah so, so it's worth letting that sink in and actually saying okay so to what end to what purpose is this just a means to an end mm -hmm. I just want to let those questions hang but it's worth considering um I've, uh, I'll put a link in the description to what I believe is one of the more recent instances of the Prime Minister um, talking uh, to One News about the actual, the proposed legislation and the discussion document. Um, Jacinda Ardern is actually saying in this particular clip um, that the proposals will narrow what is considered hate speech, but broaden who is protected. But yeah. the thing I want to consider as we actually look through now some of these um, particular legislations that actually this these proposals would interact with that these proposals affect this is the question i want you to consider are not the things this series of revisions seeks to achieve already covered for under new zealand law mm -hmm. are not these things already legislated for i just want to yep. let that hang as you actually read through now it's worth actually and actually before i talk to the six points there's a great article which I'll also link in the description from Jamie Enzer of News Hub, where he goes point by point, what are these six proposals? He's referring to uh, Minister Farfoy's discussion document as well. But in talking about this first, one of the key ones, one of the main ones is this shift from civil law to criminal law, which is quite significant. Um, I'll just actually bring this up briefly. Um, this definition was quite useful. So in the United States, there are two bodies of law whose purpose is to deter or punish serious wrongdoing and to, or to compensate the victims of such wrongdoing. Criminal law deals with behavior that is or can be construed as an offense against the public, society, or the state, even if the immediate victim is an individual. <clears throat> Examples of murder, assault, theft, drunken driving, etc. List would go on. Civil law deals with behavior that constitutes an injury to an individual or other private party, such as a corporation. Examples are defamation, including libel and slander, breach of contract, negligence resulting in injury or death, and property damage. Um, criminal law and civil law differ with respect to how cases are initiated, uh, who may uh, bring charges or file suit, how cases are decided by a judge or jury, what kind of punishment or penalty may be imposed, what standards of proof must be met, what kind of legal protections may be available to the defendant. Um, I wondered, is there anything that you feel you'd want to say there, Caleb, um, at this point? Because you're probably more of an expert on, say, some of that distinction there. 
Um, nothing that I can say at the moment. Um, on a yeah, yeah, no, no, uh, nothing there. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's let's look at these points as actually. Um, and again, I'm quoting and referring to Jamie Enz's article. Um, let's go through some of these proposals that are put forward. Um, um, so firstly, uh, these proposals start with the suggestion that more groups are protected. So previously, colour, race, or ethnic national groups uh, were actually protected under current legislation. It ought to be noted, here's my little comment here, sexuality and religion are also within the wider law but that is left out in the article. I'll talk to that below. Um, provisions for different religions, genders, sexualities, and disabilities, uh, as well as age, but that's also left out. Um, complaints can be made to the Human Rights Commission of the Police. Mm. So like there's, there's this seeking to amplify actually not necessarily in instances of individuals wrong, but groups needing this particular protection. Yeah. And I'd say there on the first point, you know, there's, there's a number of those that actually as Christians, like if not all of them would say, cool, for that, agree. Like, you know, people should actually have certain protections. People should actually, uh, in terms of hateful acts actually perpetrated against people, we're for that. Yeah. No problem affirming that as Christian. <clears throat> the second uh, proposal is that um, there would be a new criminal offence. Under this Human Rights Act, Act, it is a crime to incite racial disharmony. But that section is described in the discussion document as complicated and difficult to understand. Um, again, Farfoy's document, with archaic and often repetitive language. It also doesn't apply to electronic communications. The words hostility, ill will, contempt, and ridicule would simply be replaced with hatred, a key recommendation of the Royal Commission. And the new offence would apply to all communications methods and only target extreme hate speech with an intention to cause others to develop and strengthen hatred towards a group. By placing it in the Crimes Act, the government hopes to signal that this is a serious offence. See, I find it interesting that they have taken all those different words and replaced them with one word because hatred is an emotion, mm -hmm. whereas hostility, ill will, contempt and ridicule are actual actions many of the all of them mm -hmm. yeah um and so yeah that's that's just really interesting because i think that's actually more difficult to uh quantify in mm -hmm. what somebody says how can you say that what somebody says is hateful mm -hmm. rather than mm -hmm. as hostile or contemptuous or you know like those are actual words that can be yeah. Like you can look at somebody and go, you're ridiculing them rather than mm -hmm. you're hating on them. You know, like that's a very difficult thing to, to and, quantify. So I'm interested because usually in laws they put in more words. They don't they yes. don't kind of smush yes. up words into one word. So I find that very interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, I thought you go on, you go on. Sorry. Um uh, and something as socially important and in the spotlight as this. Mm makes it very hard in say the place like a place like court where intent is already hard enough to prove intent yeah. is very difficult to mm. prove and i think that gives with the social pressure that is coming from this bill because it's not mm. just a political thing it's, it, it's a social movement as well mm. there, there could be a lot more uh, a lot more chance of 
judges and juries uh, having an inclination to lean towards something that yeah. touches on what is more popular. Because how can you how can you say that somebody said this thing because they hated the person? You you can't possibly. Mm. Yeah, that's well. No. I, I'm I'm you so glad you that they ridiculed up. them. Yeah. Whether or not they hated them, you can't say you mm. ridiculed them. Mm. But yeah, no, that's, well, I'm, that's I'm so I'm, I'm so glad that you picked it up because it's like I did wonder is this much of a muchness we're moving from nouns to verbs, right? It's like uh, big. but I feel like it's a move towards subjectivism for one. Yeah. And it's like we're not talking about the court of popular opinion here. Like it, it'll be the courts that actually set Absolutely. this precedent. It's the courts that actually have to find some ways of interpreting how this bill applies and actually how it interacts with other legislation that is already in effect so i'm just thinking of a historical a historical situation where this would become mm. particularly problematic right if we go everyone always brings up the nazis when you talk about these kind of things but it works quite well but like so Mm. saying you know um nine juden or no jews allowed in this establishment was not considered hate speech because you weren't hating you know you were allowed to hate the Jews or whatever like if you were you were German it was good to so subjectively that wasn't hate that was just being a proud old German whereas the Christian church Mm. that spoke out against the Nazi party was shut down because of the way that they were hating the the you know national movement and it's like this becomes really really problematic if you want to even discuss a particularly tricky subject even if you're doing it in a way that's loving and kind yes well like it's it's curious like how like i i saw something in prep for this you know that talked about the weimar republic and how essentially hitler politically maneuvered to take control of germany um like he used this thing called the reichstag fire decree which Mm -hmm. was started by and i want to say a it was a scapegoat of a communist individual, basically. Oh, I'm going to use this to actually inf- to start this particular piece of legislation. And what it essentially outlawed was hate speech, like the Reichstag uh, fire decree abolished freedom of expression, the press, the right to privacy and protest, and the Weimar Constitution um, could actually be ignored by the, gov- uh, the government. Yeah. Um, the government didn't need Reichstag or parliament, a system like our own. Uh, approval approval yeah. it would be like essentially like you know labor wouldn't need uh the parliament's approval to actually do a decision to take a certain, yeah. certain course of action and so hitler became the de facto dictator by political maneuvering and he abolished yeah. trade un- unions and all other political parties making communists the enemy jews the enemy and it happened in, over time in increments like this yeah. is this idea of actually he used a situation where uh, certain speech was forgiven, and we can scapegoat a certain person to yeah. be the, and the problem. The changing the meanings of what mm-hmm. hate meant and what it actually targeted, yeah. and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And it's just this slow change of. And I'm not saying we're living in Nazi Germany before anybody jumps down my throat and says no. I'm taking it too far. You know, yeah. what I am saying is that there are very serious concerns when yeah. politically we start changing the way that we define stuff 
yeah. um, and taking it away and and smushing a whole lot of words together into hate speech it's like well actually that's that's really problematic for me when laws are taking out words instead of adding words and yeah. that makes me very concerned and it's, and, it's, and, and, and this sorry, is add, part add, adding, number two yeah sorry <laughs> add, adding on what jared was just saying about the that slow approach it reminds me of um boiled frogs Sorry, boiled frogs. frogs. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it reminds me of Martin Niemöller, who was a German Lutheran pastor who spoke out against the Nazi party. And he has a very famous poem, and I'll, I'll read the short version. Uh, it's called First They Came. A lot of you may be very familiar with it. It's First They Came for the Socialists, and I did not speak out because I was a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. Yeah. Which is a sobering thought yeah. in regards I mean, to, yeah. like Christine said, that we're not living in, in that. We're not far we're, we're far from living in nazi germany however these steps slowly come and i'm not saying that that is the agenda of the current government but what i'm saying is if we don't if we're not careful then future governments may use those laws to benefit themselves and then what we'll be saying left is how does that boost how does that boot taste and I don't think yeah. anybody saw foresaw in Germany the way it took, like, no. you know, only a, a, a couple of generations for their entire system mm -hmm. to collapse, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, like I Germans, mean, Germans were pretty much, they were happy to accept these, you know, restrictions on freedom for a relatively good standard of living. But who would have known, like, in a decade, they were like, you know, what have we done? What have we trade our freedoms for? Was this really worth it, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Like, like uh, yeah, we should, it's going to take us four four hours <laughs> to get through six points if we're not careful. So. <laughs> this is good. This is good. <laughs> um, it's it's worth saying there as well. Like, um, I'm glad that you picked up on that point, Christine, and you've made that you've made those comments, Caleb, because like I did wonder if it was much of a muchness, kind of changing its terms, but then again, not court of popular opinion laws set the precedent, um, institutions have to enact policies, form policies to actually how you keep and are in keeping with that law. Mm. And also it's the idea that law should actually not be more vague, it should be more prescriptive. Yeah. Um, sorry, Absolutely. more descriptive, not prescriptive. Mm. That's, that's yeah. a key point. It should be more descriptive yeah. and actually give these kind of like, well, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. Yeah. Um, Add in another and, 10 verbs, you know, like we're good with mm -hmm, that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, it's like making it just hatred, then actually it puts the precedent then introduced as subjectivism. Well, yeah. I thought it was hatred. I take it as hatred. This judge, this lawyer, this victim takes it as hatred. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a troubling precedent. Mm -hmm. And on that point, the, the by placing it in the Crimes Act, making this actually a criminal offence, the government hopes to signal that this is a serious offence. Comments on that coming. So the first point on um, the first proposal, more groups protected. The second is that it's a new criminal offence. The third is that harsher penalties are introduced. Um, after looking at other criminal offences and considering the seriousness of the behaviour, the government believes these penalties are too low. 
something the Royal Commission agreed with. The proposal is for the maximum penalty for the new criminal offence to be three years in prison or a fine of up to $50,000. Which is, which is quite hefty because uh, for those of you who are unaware, when it comes to imprisonment terms, if a sentence of imprisonment is anything more, if it's two years or more, that is a considered a heavy prison sentence, one for which you must, you must apply for parole. Anything less than two years, when you are released, you are released um, halfway through your sentencing and you serve out the rest of your, your imprisonment sentence on what's called release conditions. Um, but parole is what you serve out the rest of yours on if it's two or more years. And sometimes judges will, instead of going one year, 11 months for an imprisonment sentence, they will say two years exactly, uh, just to drive home the fact that while this may be not a super serious crime, I'm penalizing you seriously. Um, mm. So it's, it's three years is a big thing. Um, that's, well, I know, that's I know somebody big imprisonment who was, sentence. Uh, I know mm. someone who was, was uh, put in prison for rape for three years. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm sitting here going, the same could be applied to somebody for a hate speech crime. Yeah. As to somebody who brutally raped somebody. Yeah. I mean, I have problems with the sentences that are put out for rape. That's a whole other discussion. Like they're yeah. way too low in New Zealand. But like that to me is yeah. is quite shocking that yeah. for a hate speech thing, you could be put in prison for the same length of time as a rapist. Hmm. You'll be and sharing one, sounds with them. I mean, one one thing. One thing about this as well is the whole idea of harsher penalties seem it, it, it's very uh, counterintuitive to most liberal ideologies. Um, prison reform and law reform are something that I am very liberal on. Um, I, I agree with the left in those regards. Being someone who has worked in prison, I have seen people coming back to prison over and over again. They have been hit with harsh sentences. The more you up the punishment and before anyone comes in saying, oh, but New Zealand prisons are like a five-star hotel. Oh, no. It's not. No. It's not. Um, I think I just have personal, personal stakes in, in mm. sexual violence and stuff. Sure. And so like, I sure. get yeah. quite like, which, which I, I understand. And, yeah. and I, don't, I don't disagree. I believe, especially yeah. when it comes to sexual crimes, I think there is a lack of um, appropriate sentencing in New Zealand and other countries in the West yeah. because our justice system doesn't take that seriously enough. But for the most yeah. part, most crimes are sentenced far too harshly. Yeah. Labour and a lot of the left say this and say that they don't want to punish people harshly, but yet yeah. they're saying they want harsher sentences for speech matters. I also yeah. find it interesting because hate speech, a lot of it tends to be um, around, uh, there is a lot of hate speech around race and things that people mm. discuss as being massive issues. 
I wouldn't think that long, hefty prison sentences would actually alleviate those no. racial issues when you hear of the racial kind of segregation almost thing for survival that happens in prison mm -hmm. um yeah. and and i'm just like that that's perhaps not the best place to re-educate and rehabilitate people no. if they've got issues with another race um no it's yes. it's probably one of the worst places probably is what i'm thinking i mean i know people who have come out of prison and they come out a lot more racist than they went in you know? mm. <laughs> and it's like mm. i don't know if that's a, a good a good starting place for people because they're they're placed in a both a ideological and a physical echo chamber yeah mm. yeah that's so apt um i know one of the popular critiques around this is that you know, I think it's like for physical assault, the, the maximum sentence is up to one year. It's like, what, a fine of up to $5,000? And people are saying, so for words, people can get a harsher sentence, both financially mm -hmm. and in terms of time. Yeah. But then I, I heard in some of like the free speech unions documentation on this, part of that equivalence is that actually it has been viewed in ideological circles that actually speech is equivalent to violence. And so yes, that's but it's just part gonna of the thinking. Underground. It is. I, I it agree. Is. Like so, this it's is the echo chambers. <laughs> this is the this is the trouble with actually hate speech historically is that it actually hasn't addressed the issues that it's tried right. to legislate for. It just yeah. drives it underground, and in fact, it sometimes amplifies it, magnifies it, makes it worse. But I'll speak to these these uh, remaining proposals before I actually talk about how the laws currently speak to this. Um, the fourth proposal is actually that there would be a changing the language in the civil provision in line with the new offence. Now, remember before I just spoke about how there's a difference between the civil law and uh, criminal law, and actually how those cases are actually handled. So this proposal would change the wording of the civil incitement provision to include inciting, stirring up, maintaining or normalising hatred along the existing wording. The discussion document says there should be consistency between the civil and criminal provisions and the type of behavior that is prohibited. It is desirable that hatred be included in the civil provision so that civil liability is imposed for communication that is the most serious and damaging. The fifth um, proposal is that there is an incitement to discrimination. See, New Zealand has actually signed up to a UN uh, covenant the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, which says any advocacy of national, racial, or religious hatred that constitutes incitement to discrimination, hostility, or violence shall be prohibited by law. However, incitement to discrimination is not currently prohibited in New Zealand law. The government wants to change the civil provision to include it. And the sixth proposal, um, and this is arguably i do emphasize arguably the thing that has been most contentious with these proposals is that there would be a clarification that trans gender diverse and intersex people are protected from discrimination under these reforms so the human rights act uh, lists the grounds in which discrimination is prohibited including sex which includes pregnancy and childbirth and sexual orientation which means heterosexual homosexual lesbian or bisexual orientation the government doesn't believe the law is clear enough in noting that trans, gender diverse, and intersex people are also protected from discrimination. 
The government and the Human Rights Commission consider that the existing ground of sex covers these groups, but that sex and gender are different concepts. The law could be clearer. The discussion document says the final proposal would make changes to clarify this by changing the wording of the grounds of sex to include sexual characteristics or intersex status, so um, sexual orientation or gender identity, SOGI, and adding a new ground of gender, including gender expression and gender identity. This would clarify that it is illegal to discriminate. This is the key thing, discriminate is different from hate speech, but the things are being conflated and that's part of where the problems lie. Mm. This would clarify that it is illegal to discriminate on the grounds of gender, gender expression, gender identity, sex characteristics, or intersex status. We are aware of the other wording that may be used, such as variation of sex characteristics or non-binary, as opposed to gender diverse. So I I raise my question again here. Are not the things the series of revisions seeks to achieve already covered for under New Zealand law? And while I'm certainly no expert, I've sought to review some of the legislation that would apply and consider them. And I'll link these particular acts in the description. So they are conflating discrimination and hate speech together, which is two separate things because you can discriminate without actually saying anything as well. And and saying you don't like somebody isn't the same as discriminating against them and, and not allowing them equal opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I'm saying either of those things. I'm <laughs> just saying for clarification purposes. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Because does that mean that if... Um, that if somebody does discriminate, they can be charged under hate speech laws, or if somebody is, shows hate speech, they can be under discrimination laws like that. So, which law do you charge people under? Exactly, like, it, it could even be a, a mixture, um, and that's where it gets really dangerous because, again, it seems to be that with the social pressures that are being put on the government. Um, people when it comes to breaking some of these laws or going against these ideas Mm. people are out for blood and the government will be able to give them said blood with Mm. these laws in conjunction with each other because then okay so my big question and I'm sure we're going to get to this at some point but now I'm you know you got my brain ticking is as I go okay so particularly in religious circles. So we're going, I'm going church circles, right? Um, I, appropriate. <laughs> 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 um, so I have a, a, a good friend of mine um, who is a trained minister who is openly gay. And we have really good discussions around sexuality and gender and all these kind of things. Now he knows where I stand on it, which is I well, we're not going to go into where I stand on it. Way too complicated. But anyway, we have very, not we yet. have quite not opposing, <laughs> no, not yet, different podcasts. Um, we have quite different views on where we come from, biblically speaking. Yeah. Now, if he didn't like what I had to say, he could then say I was using hate speech or discriminating against him, even though. I could be like, I don't agree, but I 
don't believe that you should be penalized in any way for your choices in life apart from when it comes to whether or not you would be a pastor in my church you know like, <laughs> that's the only place and that would be a whole other discussion does that mean that churches could then get done for hate speech for not employing somebody that they didn't agree with lifestyle whether it's sexuality gender mm. you know any kind of like it doesn't have to be this whole gender and sex thing but you know like could they be done for hate speech against that because they're not employing somebody and not giving equal opportunities to somebody mm. for that well, reason yeah uh, interestingly there are there are already laws for that in the human rights act uh, but I believe there are potentially. Um, I thought there were provisos for. There are exceptions. Yeah. Um, for purposes of religion, section twenty-eight, I believe. Yeah. I think it's twenty-eight. This doesn't give. This doesn't appear to give. Those mm. for the hate which, speech ones. Which I will share screen very briefly as well, and so people will be able yeah. to see that with okay. this as well because mm. that that concerns me because if it's not just because i knew with the discrimination ones there were things around employment status and things around churches or religious organizations for their religious needs but the hate speech ones hasn't said that yeah and that's really concerning if they're conflating mm. the two because if you can't get them on discrimination get them on hate speech and then you've got issues yeah yeah this is like oh dear like the theological point i consider here is that no, what should the rule of law be? Should it be to promote ideology or should the rule of law be to actually promote in a, say in a democratic society, you know, the most access to liberties and freedoms despite differences of opinion, differences of worldview as possible, right? Because yeah. it's like, you know, we can respectfully agree to disagree. Like um, I might not even like, you know, agree with your lifestyle. You might not agree with mine. It's like, no, those colonial Christians, you know, oh, yeah. they're just the worst. Like, yeah. All that said, it's like, shouldn't the law then actually exist not to actually say, I'm going to promote one group, one particular narrative over another, or should the law actually exist to say, we want to afford as many people as possible freedoms to coexist yeah. peaceably. And, and that's, uh, that, that's a really good point that has actually been brought up by a friend of ours, Jared, um, mm. that yes, we as people have a right to freedom of speech uh, as as mentioned mm -hmm. in article 14 of the new zealand bill of rights as mentioned in article 19 of the un uh human rights um mm. but we also that this friend of ours pointed out we also have a right to be protected from hateful speech, which I agree with to an extent, you know. Um, we, we have a right to be protected from discrimination, but at what point would you start to call that hateful speech discrimination? Mm -hmm. I'm, well, I'm thinking of the times when I've been told um, by churches that they didn't want me speaking because I was a woman hmm. and how... I could have jumped on the discrimination bandwagon and gone to the news and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Or I can go, I understand that your faith at this point is not accepting of that. And so I, out of love for you, 
won't force it down your throat <laughs> because that's not going to make you think that actually yes women should speak in church what it's going to no. do is make you go no you really probably shouldn't be here eh? no. <laughs> punitive it's, doesn't transform the person no, no, and and actually still allowed to have their viewpoint, you know. Mm, yeah. Like, mm. I just well, I can't. Yeah. Let's let's pull up some of this legislation and like you know, we live can actually you know dissect some of that you know for the yeah. viewer as well so they can see that. So mm. this is looking at the Bill of Rights. Um, and let's look at Article Twenty First. Caleb's mentioned a couple of these already. Um. So 20 mentions um, the rights of minorities. Um, it's worth mentioning here that actually uh, religion, ethnicity, and language are represented here. Um, other groups are not, and under this particular provision. However, I would say certain provisions within the same act would ensure people of communities not included are in fact represented. So if we go to say Article 13, for example, freedom of thought conscience and religion everyone has the right to freedom of thought conscience and religion belief religion and belief including the right to adopt and to hold opinions without interference, without interference. um 14 freedom yeah. of expression mm. everyone has the right to freedom of expression including the freedom to seek receive and impart information and opinions of any kind in any form uh in and any 16. form that's interesting because that goes totally yeah. against what they just said mm -hmm. and it goes against oh, you're blowing my mind legislation <laughs> says Wow. Mm -hmm. okay. 16, freedom of peaceful assembly. Everyone has the right to freedom of peaceful assembly. 17, freedom of association. Everyone has the right to freedom of association. So while religion and ethnicity and language are represented, other groups are not. However, these provisions within the same act would ensure people are, are actually in fact represented under this. That would be my takeaway from this, being a non-expert. And especially given, like you've actually said, it's like there's ambiguity and actually interpretation and that is the role of lawyers and actually uh the courts that's, yeah that's judges. why we have courts right yeah yeah mm -hmm. um 19 and 20 together uh freedom from discrimination uh they make it clear that actually groups where claims uh they aren't represented actually are under our current le legislation you can actually have access to this i'm not even i haven't even got to the other two particular pieces of legislation but mm. again the question I'm wanting to hang is like are not these things these series of revisions seek to achieve already covered under New Zealand law mm. because I think hopefully being to say that actually I would say yes they are and this is from a layman's perspective that I'm interpreting this like so why the need is the question I'm asking. because then they can jump on the bandwagon and say that they have <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm cynical or anything about <laughs> political system, gosh. Um, it should also see here is like Article 28 even gives an accessible caveat where marginalised groups who claim they aren't represented actually can be. Like right, you can actually yeah. see there, like that gives you that space that actually they can still be represented. Right, yeah. 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 But one thing that's interesting is, is that it, even in regards to people who aren't represented it it's kind of hard to find someone who's not represented by these rights because it's quite clear that it says everyone every person i don't see any um exemption there there's obviously the exemptions when it comes to criminal acts because someone you know so for example someone is in prison they no longer have the right to free movement 
Uh, sometimes they don't have the right to associate uh, on their parole conditions. They may not be allowed to associate with gang members, um, but that is because they have committed a criminal offence. Yeah. And again, that is where things get problematic when speech yeah. becomes criminal yeah, because offence. Yeah, if it becomes a criminal offence, can they remove your right to associate with other Christians who agree with you? You know, like... Other, Potentially. Like, yeah. Oish, oish, this gets, oh, this, because I'm like, okay, maybe not in my lifetime, but my children mm. or my children, I mean, I don't have yeah. children, your children, your children's children, like, where mm. does this lead? Like, this, mm. but, and, and, oh, and not just for very... Christians, for let's say we have a very right wing government come into play, a, a far right wing government who oh, starts oh. to use that for Muslims and for yeah. practicing Jews and, yeah. Absolutely, like everybody who has a different viewpoint to us, as yeah. or to the the person in charge, yeah. um, this becomes massively problematic. Exactly. Very quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, let's take a look at the Human Rights Act. Um, it's Do interesting it. that actually the Bill of Rights was first written into legislation, and then there was critique that it didn't go far enough. Like there was actually not enough provisions actually considered. So this in tandem was actually written up as well. And both both kind of covers, but they say things that are similar, but they also cover things that the other document doesn't. It was suggested as a revision is what I'm trying to say, basically. Right, yeah. Um, um, so Human Rights Act. It's, um, now this is the New Zealand Human Rights Act. This isn't like an international the... human rights act. Okay, all right. So there's no such nope. thing as a hu international um, human and, rights act? Yep. There yeah, is? Well, okay, it, but this it, is more the, the, the UN has a um, yeah. has a list of human rights that any group, any country in the UN has agreed or has signed on to the UN, has also right. most likely mm. signed on to. And then you pad it out for your own countries kind yeah. of thing. Right. But yeah. a lot of those countries. And I, and I imagine like the Geneva Conventions would have some bearing, like um underpinning a lot of stuff, right? Like uh yeah. Um Let's look at 21 first, um, which mentions um, so the prohibited grounds for discrimination here are like really thorough. Like, you know, it, it's pretty exacting as to where and what applies and how it applies. Like, like there's, there's not a lot of wriggle room actually about like uh, where you wouldn't have access to this. Like, uh, it, it covers most, okay. if not all, people, yeah, yeah. as you can see. Yeah. Um, human rights are granted in instances of employment and instances of sexual harassment and, and victimization, meaning, again, provisions are already made for affected groups, for race, for age, for sex, under human rights. And so the detail of proposed instances where these apply are so painstaking, I, I just don't see how parties claiming they aren't represented cannot find provisions for them under the current legislation. Because they're not specifically um, named. And I think that's the thing, is right. as much as our, our current um, political like environment around the world and the West at the moment is, you know, we don't want labels. Everybody needs to be labeled. 
because mm. if we're not labeled we're not represented and we need mm. to be represented in the most definitive way possible like I'm not mm. just woman I am a white woman I am bisexual white woman I am you know like it's it's mm. this whole like you can't just be like I'm a New Zealand chick you know like that just mm. doesn't exist anymore and my sexual preferences isn't any of your business you know like it's mm-hmm. you know, those kind of things where it's like mm. it's it, and so because they're not specifically named then our current generation doesn't believe that they're represented because then they have to go and understand words <laughs> But, but Sorry, is, that was is, really harsh on people. But like, isn't that the problem again, though? Because it's like it's this stuff is pushed into the the realm of public opinion, yeah. but it's 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 actually it's doesn't have to actually be our space we have to interpret it. Like you yeah. know, Caleb and I when we did this uh, the conversations around the the cannabis bill, the proposed mm. cannabis bill, and the end of life bill. It's mm. like your typical New Zealanders are having to become. <laughs> you know, to actually interpret legislation like this because yeah. otherwise, you know, your your rights are being impinged upon and actually your... Um, but isn't that a good thing? Them. Now you know what your laws actually say, it's you know? True. Like, I mean, it's bad, but yeah, it's but also yeah. good because yeah. it's it means that, yeah, your average yeah. Joe in the street or Joanne... <laughs> name me properly Um, you know like (laughs) we have to actually know what our laws say about us and I think that that is a wonderful thing Mm -hmm. even though and it means that we become very very quickly aware of where the holes are and where actually Mm. things are just redundant Mm. Um, so I've left that there on the screen for some some time for those people who are watching as well you know it's like, you know, we're having the conversation on these points as well, but it's worth noting that 65 and 66, the articles here, do to actually state that discrimination is unlawful in cases of victimization and indirect discrimination. Mm. So this is actually, again, like it's making some really accessible provisions, some really accessible caveats about where, you know, you can claim my rights, my human rights are actually being violated. So... On that point there, actually, supposedly the conversation, the line of thinking is going that those of the LGBTQI plus community aren't represented and members claim that they as a group have no legal representation or protections. Um, I mean, without being cynical, perhaps the wealth of laws or provisions even just looked at briefly now to any typical New Zealander, are they seen as not good enough? Because the courts typically take actually sex as actually understood under both of these pieces of legislation. We haven't looked at the Defamation Act yet, but they understand sex to actually include gender identity, um, sexual orientation, gender expression. They interpret it as that. Like, no, but that's, that's the not p- the language that people understand anymore. And but so... is, that, is it again, is it about what people understand or is it the courts who actually aren't protecting are employed are actually in these instances where people feel wronged they actually can actually have these accesses they know their rights they can actually claim yeah. these protections under what already exists the, and this is where i think it goes back to you know the where i said they have they're taking a lot of words and making it one word mm, yeah. i think maybe in this situation they need to take the few words that are there and expand them out maybe in mm. the already existing legislation because then people will 
maybe find it more accessible to understand mm. maybe you know and instead of creating a whole new thing just go okay well let's just chuck in a few more words to explain what we're actually talking about here um mm, mm. because that's what usually happens with law mm. changes and things as they go well it's already there let's just add a few more words in so people get it mm. yeah. well i think like like it's also worth noting as well that uh like the human rights commission um who are supposed to in new zealand enforce you know the actual keeping with this these particular instances of legislation and to whom you can actually other than the police report violations of your human rights you can actually go to the human rights commission and say hey i have been discriminated against and this is how and this is the instances they actually have generous jurisdiction under the law to exercise authority in instances of discrimination but like one proposed issue as to why the perception is they don't exercise this is that it's a lack of data or evidence gathering on the part of the police. And this is maybe why it's actually suggested that there's a movement from the civil uh, civil act to the criminal act. Um, another is that because civil and criminal profession differ in wording, it makes it hard to uphold genuine discrimination claims, even when legitimate. Um, perhaps then it's actually a good revision that's being suggested. So further amplifying the penalty and transference to the Crimes Act actually, it's it's giving that Human Rights Commission gives them more teeth and complaints being upheld. Um, and herein lies parts of the critique that the Human Rights Wants Commission wants to extend its reach, given that it is thought to have bark but no bite. Yeah, if that makes sense, if that follows. Mm. Is that something we want though? Another mm. police on top of the police. On something, <laughs> uh, you know, like, isn't that what the police are there for? Mm. You know, um, and if that the Human Rights Commission isn't data or evidence gathering, that's their issue, and they really should just up their, their evidence gathering to show that they're actually doing something. And if they're not doing what they're doing, then that's that's not, you know, like, do you know what mm. I mean? Mm. Like, I, mm. I think that that perhaps is their problem. <laughs> that they need to sort out internally not not mm. something that you then give them more oomph to be able yeah. to do something outside of what the police already do well like you remind me of a, of a quote here from the free speech union and their submission to the government uh based on these proposals you know they actually produced a I think it was a 10-page document again like in the description 10-page document about actually what they thought around these proposals at each of the six. Um, just to quote here, moreover, we have seen examples of how censorious, uh, censorious? Censorious. censorious. <laughs> Legal frameworks have been applied in other Western countries. Um, we think of the likes of the UK and Canada, um, places in Europe, for example. Police have visited and arrested people for transphobic limericks, using the wrong pronouns and online discussions and making bad jokes. Like this isn't like made up instances. These things have yeah. happened under hate speech laws overseas. Yeah. We seem set to make the same mistakes as those countries with laws such as those proposed. Hate speech laws and the wider cultural phenomena of deplatforming and cancel culture are central to much political and social division today. The idea that hate speech laws can lead to cohesion is so counterintuitive and blind to the last five years of world politics, it seems extraordinary that they could still be presented as either benign or necessary. Quite strong, that particular quote. Uh, 
bears worth mentioning, bears worth considering. I wouldn't say they were wrong, hmm. you know. I mean, strongly worded, but I yes. wouldn't say that the evidence is wrong in what they have said. Mm. I think mm. it's very dangerous ground it to is. walk on. And we've got some, um, when we get to it later, we, we have some instances in the UK of which in which these kind of things have been done and mm. it has been taken far too far. The problem I find, though, in this discussion that... Um, is if you do say, you know, this is shaky ground or whatever, then people will say it's because you want your right to say hateful things about people, you know. It's like a bit of strong man, though. Yeah, I, and I agree. But mm. that in the current political climate, if you don't agree with stuff, then obviously it's because you want the right to be mean about it rather than to just voice an opinion. Um, I mean, you can say that about people who are who are voicing opinions at the moment about whether or not the COVID vaccine is a good thing to get, right? Like, they should be allowed to do their research and to voice an opinion without having everybody jump all over, up and down on them, whether or not we agree mm. with what they think. We should be able to have these discussions. Mm. Um, and I find that with a lot of the stuff going on at the moment around hate speech and, and things, you can't have those discussions in a public forum with a, a uh, considered and open discussion right. where everybody's not kind of going, well, it's because you're Christian and you're bigoted and you just want to hate on everybody. And, you know, and it's like, actually, do we not see the danger? That this which, which, you know, makes sense. And, you know, a neo-tribal neo-feudal context right like uh digital technologies amplifying this context you're not an individual you're a group you're a representation of your group it's like you know oh you christine could actually be really loving and empathetic and supportive and you actually show that by your actions you don't just talk the talk you walk it it's like but no you aren't um you aren't uh let's uh look at the defamation act hey and see how that applies. <laughs> so looking at this particular instance and looking at, uh, I always think like a three is an interesting one. Um, I think it actually is here. This act binds the crown. That's always an interesting one to actually note. The end of life bill actually just mentioned that one as well. Um, that this act binds the crown especially given that it's actually it was the Royal Commission that was driving these proposals for actually yeah. we need, you know, you know, to amplify hate speech revisions. But always an interesting point that actually the, the crown is bound and actually what it can do and how she can speak to these things. Yeah. Um, Article 8, uh, explanation of truth. Defense of truth could provide relevant protections to Christians and other religious citizens in the future if legislation and the court of popular opinion combine to slander Christians, people that are religiously minded who are seeking to practice you know, their beliefs um, privately or professionally or publicly in good conscience. See, this is again this point of actually where we see bills, where we see law, where we see legislation beginning to interact with each other. Because it's like, you know, you could actually have you know, dead to rights, um, this person is guilty of hate speech. It's like, 
but hang on, you know, here are these instances where actually it was this, and this is where this applies, you know. Uh, yeah. Um, nine and 10 are the article which mentions uh, the defense of honest opinion and criteria that the opinion be genuine is yeah. somewhat subjective, but there are, there are, you know, some caveats and clarifications. But any suggested revisions, any suggested proposals would ultimately need to inform newer interpretations of this act, as many of the supposed instances of hate speech would be occurring online. Um, new legislation begets legislation and begets revision, like uh, that'll happen with the Harmful Communications Act as well. Mm. Um, the revisions are reasonably robust in framing what protections and rights the average New Zealand has with concerning acts and speech taken. So I predict if Farfoy's proposals go through as they are now, we will see interactions between this act. Um, and just talking to that point about actually free speech online, No, I've actually, I've actually already spoken to that. Um, but this suggests that under New Zealand law, that speech against groups can and will be criminalised, regardless if there is a direct targeted person or not. Um, there is an interesting, uh, it's oversimplistic, it's, over, it's overly reductionist, but in talking about actually left versus right politics, there's all, often the conversation around the rights of the one and the rights of the many being actually pissed against each other. And I do see that that's actually, that's featuring in this conversation, that's featuring in this discussion and argument. Like there's actually, do we protect the group, the group rights? Do we protect the rights of the individual? There's definitely interaction with these instances. Hmm. Um, shifting gears somewhat, because uh, I think this out actually outlays actually what is currently the legislation and we haven't even talked to yet um the recent conversations around uh the conversion therapy bill although we might actually look to do that at the latter end of this cast um the connection and talk of an anti-terrorist bill being put up or actually specifically looking at the harmful digital communications act um being proposed um and how this could further limit free speech around critique of governance um, whole another cast we could actually do on that topic. Um, it's interesting that actually Jacinda in the video that I actually referenced right at the start of this cast, um, she presents um, the discussion document as saying, oh, you know, like, you know, government and by and large agrees with these proposal. So government, not just meaning Labour, government meaning all the parties that are actually representing yeah. government. Government by and large agrees with these proposals. Yeah. But she even said in, says in the video, that's not actually true because there was actually quite vigorous discussion in a number of instances, um, not least of all, there was quite a bit of um, argument around political opinion. Is political opinion instances of discrimination? Is this protected speech, you know, in, in parliament, you know, like... Then uh, you're going to get... Oh, chucking in political opinion under hate speech, mate, that's going to get... Yeah. That's going to get so tricky with uh, if you get mm. somebody in charge who who wants to enforce it. Like, a, oh god, yeah. that gives me the heebie-jeebies. Mm. So I can't even get my words out. It upsets me that much. <laughs> like, you got to be able to have difference of opinions. Mm. Isn't that what a democratic yeah. system is for? You'd hope. 
there's this great um, interview with um, Tova O'Brien and Minister Farfoy, Minister Chris Farfoy, where they talk about exactly this, about 12 minutes long. Um, and she like, she really hammers on these instances. It's like, you know, if a millennial calls someone a boomer, could that be considered hate speech? If uh, Israel Folau is saying that actually, you know, non-Christian, you know, homosexuals will burn and go to hell, is that considered hate speech? And it's really interesting that Farfoy in that interview is so unable and so reluctant to clarify what is and not instances of hate speech. Yeah. I, I kind of I kind of understand the reasons why he wouldn't qualify, but a justice minister should be responsible for providing accountability yeah. to a discussion document that he is right, writing. And that yeah. was compounded at the time by the PM's own media appearances, which seemed to initially confuse or disagree with Farfoy's claims. Mm. And the advocates themselves can't even agree on the interpretations. Mm. That should ring alarm bells. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. Absolutely. It's like, they're making it more muddy. They're not mm. clarifying anything at this point. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But I, I advance the question, I mean, open question to both of you guys. Like, given that even we've just had a cursory look at these acts, you know, we're not lawyers. What would you say is the need for revision? Normally, hate speech laws, the history of them being enacted, it's normally under crisis moments. It's in reaction to things that have happened or reaction to particular bodies particular groups of people who are advancing really mm. you know, signs of the times like really awful stuff mm. yeah but where's the crisis here we've already acknowledged that actually the desire for revision of hate speech was before the christchurch massacre not as a direct result of we've already seen that actually legislation covers a lot of this already if not all of it there's the argument but i would say i would actually argue in favor of it it is covered under interpretation of law why the need for the revisions i think it's a political crisis i don't think mm. i mean i think even before the christchurch thing um i think a lot of it is driven by american political crisis a mm. lot of what we yep. see in the west um where there is just such an us versus them breakdown of the american um democratic system at the moment that has been coming for years I mean, it's been yeah. brewing and it's just getting worse and worse. And I think particularly liberal governments um, and, 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 and conservative governments in different ways um, find bandwagons that they can jump on. And, yeah. you know, I think the Christchurch thing um, probably really helped in that situation in pushing forward an agenda that already existed. Um, because it mm. makes it look like they're doing something in a situation where no one could have done anything to prevent yeah. that. And if it mm. happened mm. again, there's nothing anybody could do to prevent it. But that's not good political savvy to say mm. there's nothing anybody could have done and we can't prevent it again. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. let's look like we're doing something. And by the way, it also lines up with our own agenda anyway. Um, <laughs> so let's just make it work but I, I would definitely say the political um sphere at the moment is in crisis around the world mm. in the west mm. and I think we're going to see more and more extreme stuff on the right and left come out as yeah. they grapple for power in in a collapsing society really mm. your thoughts Kevin um some that very much resonate with Christine's um, 
also something that was mentioned a little bit touched on earlier was the whole idea of driving people underground um i think that's that's all that this can serve to do in regards to people who are who already hate liberal governments this won't win anyone over it's conversation that converts not silencing um and i think yeah i i think that will only serve to drive more people against um the powers that be and i don't think it'll do much good at all it, it won't mm. make any um hateful groups smaller that's for sure at least not what mm. I, I i don't believe it will no mm. i don't think so I think people will be more likely to to uh, go into uh, sound boxes or whatever the echo chambers, not sound boxes, mm -hmm. echo chambers um, where their hate is fueled. Yeah. Rather than have sensible discussions where their hate is challenged. Yeah, I was I was talking with a friend like just this week, like how maybe it's our generation friends, but like you know, growing up, like I was raised to actually understand like. No, Evelyn Beatrice Hall's um, quote about actually, I, oh, let me get the exact quote. I disapprove of what you say, but I would defend to the death your right to say it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And she was uh, illustrating Voltaire's belief, um, Voltaire being an Enlightenment um, philosopher and entrepreneur from France. Um, he was particularly critical of the Roman Catholic Church, but he was an advocate of free speech, freedom of religion, and the separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. But the summation where she wrote um, The Life of Voltaire, like it's often actually cited as to describe the principle of freedom of speech, like where actually we should actually have a free society that actually enables people to, like this is what I, I believe I was raised to actually grow up to enshrine as virtuous you know we can agree to disagree we can actually hold differences of opinion and tension and tandem we can respect the person you know, theologically the imago day of the individual even if we disagree with their worldview and lifestyle but like we're in this kind of i mention again neo-tribal neo-feudal world digital technologies fueling this like mm. the social dilemma like that documentary just like blew my mind around some of this stuff and it's just like how it's not helping it's like this kind of dynamic where we actually have we don't want civil discussion we're in this absolute vacuum of what is truth because of post-modernity and because of pluralism and people are actually wanting to say well let's find what absolute truth is once we know what it is let's actually silence mute cancel anyone that doesn't actually mm. hold these it, particular points of view it can't be our generation because we're not that old right and the largest percentage of the population in New Zealand is older than us. And, sure. you know, I'm waiting for one of you to say, speak for yourself. Uh, no. <laughs> um, I'm a bit older than these guys, for those of you who are watching. Um, Let me buy you. But, well, yeah, yeah, we're, anyway. we're just being careful because given that age is under the provision of hate speech, if I see anything, yeah. like I, yeah, I, <laughs> I could be bailed You better about. watch yeah, it. Exactly. It's all natural. It's not all. <laughs> but okay so if we Rich say you, you're, i think it's 40 over is the largest by a significant amount largest percentage of of the population in new zealand like 
I mean, they talk about the superannuation not being around for us because there are so many old people at the moment that it's going to dry up reserves. Like there's there's all the boomers basically are, are in retirement age and things. Surely they did not. Don't you say anything, Caleb? I saw you laughing about something there. But no, anyway, I was, um, I was shocked when you said, to you saying said the boomer. B word. Yeah. The, the, the B word. Said it then. <laughs> but um, surely it's more people younger than us that are in this kind of social justice warrior kind of mm-hmm. thing right mm-hmm. and the the networking online and all that kind of stuff and and with its pros and its cons like there's a lot of upheaval in I would say mm-hmm. our generation and below not our generation and above so what are all the older people doing if this stuff is getting through you know, like what is happening that this is being dictated by the generations coming up rather than usually the political power is in the hands of the older generations. And so it can't just be the younger people who this is all coming from because yeah. that isn't where the political power usually stands, right? Mm. So I'm really interested in what has happened in and I podcast for another time maybe but like what has happened in the mindset of our of our elders um that this stuff is now becoming you know being proposed or being put in our political spheres and all that kind of thing what is happening to the vote of the older people um and how are they being influenced by this and do they think it's because it'll be good for the younger generation because they see their kids and grandkids or great-grandkids or I don't know whatever struggling with this stuff you know do you know what I mean like it seems bizarre to me that this is where the political sphere is at when I thought it was only you know teens and 20s and stuff that were actually dealing with this a lot of this stuff well I think I think part of that could be put down to potentially the the scope of influence or sorry I, I guess the scope of um reach that the voices of the younger generation have younger people generally tend to have more tech savvy um, ability to get their voice out there and a lot of older people either aren't on social media or are influenced by the people who are larger on social media who maybe be younger um, or don't have an interest also, on social media. There's, there's less getting to them and yeah. we're not voting case by case on every single legislation that comes through and Mm. I think um, the government does a good job at kind of keeping some things um, out of the realm of discussion Uh, some Mm. bills get hurried through quite quickly Mm. Um, Mm. and yeah that that I guess uh, not not a full answer but that Mm. that would be my thoughts I guess yeah I mean I don't I don't know if we'll come to a full answer i just it's mm-hmm. just something that i find yeah. quite interesting yeah. that yeah. that the issues of of people who often don't even have a right to vote yet are the ones that are being pushed through which yeah. i just yeah hey guys uh do you want a fun little segue for a second yeah will you permit me yeah for um, sure. shall we see what hate speech is like should we just check it let's just see what actually <laughs> oh no <laughs> I remember doing this. Yeah. Uh, oh, apparently National Sucks. That's one I already tried. Um, Let's go. Let's try Boomer. No, because we already mentioned that. 
It's analyzing, it's analyzing. Oh, hate speech, it's unknown. Uh, the Prime Minister and Justice Minister have been unable to define what hate speech will be under their proposed new laws. Yeah. Really check that with the lawyer, says the Minister of Justice. <laughs> um, interesting articles. Yep. Mm. Um, I mean, should we try another while we're here? Well, this could get really risque really fast, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really could. <laughs> we could try Nazi. Oh, That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Oh, hate speech. Your text may ah, include hate speech. Yep. Yeah. It, it doesn't even who... have a... It, it has no context. Yeah, so... It has a lot, no a lot context! Of people, a lot of people who are pushing for this on the left are quite prone to accusing people of being Nazis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They'll lose their favourite slur. That's a good point. Yeah. Wow, there's no context. It's like, it reminds me of the story I have of uh, some teenagers in high school that I met who, um, when I was going into high schools and stuff, um, who were researching breast cancer for Pink Ribbon Day, and they had to get special permissions to do it because the um, school computers kept blocking breast. Like, they wouldn't let them Google anything with the word breast in it, which, I mean, I understand, like, yeah. school kids, you know, dodgy, dodgy teenagers. But, you yeah. know, it's it's kind of like there's no context, you know. Yeah, like, it's, it's like the thing in the office when Dwight becomes the manager temporarily and they're like, oh, his new web filter's blocked WebMD, you know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that episode. Oh, I love The Office. It's a fantastic yeah. show. Just plug The Office. Hope yeah. they give us money for this plug. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny.